Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Here we are again. Another fascinating episode of Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens, strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I am on the road to recovery. As of this week, I have no crutches, no brace, no nothing. So I had the joy of riding the Airdyne like five days this week. So nice. it was amazing. I took a solid poop while sitting on a toilet instead of standing. It was just, it's the small things in life wow. that, that make you happy. So, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, this is uh, Dr. John Mike. I'm assistant professor in exercise science. Uh, good to be back on. Uh, I've been traveling a lot, speaking at conferences, teaching, coaching, lifting, and um, thinking about getting a part-time job as a mall cop. So, oh, uh, wow, yeah, I know, right? Fancy, fancy. <laughs> they have like extra heavy-duty segways you could ride around all day. They probably do either that or maybe <laughs> like an outer work hairdresser. So. <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm instructor for Globe University. Just some work for each perform, mindset performance, my own business. Been like uh, the other Dr. Mike said, um, teaching different places. We're in Kansas City, and we'll be at Paleo Effects in Austin coming up over Memorial Day. Absolutely, I'm there too, man. Yeah. Speaking of that one too, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, it'll be fun. Good times. Well, we got a couple news bits. Um, Strength and Muscle Sport News. And Lonnie shot over. The first one is a new scale that, well, it's not your run-of-the-mill scale. Basically, you stand on this thing. It slowly spins you in a circle over 20 seconds and takes a scan of your whole body. Um, Let me find the name of it. Basically, it does a 3D scan and uh, also heat. So, And then it can tell you... Not just if you've lost weight or gained weight, but also um, it shows you, look, you've gained muscle here. You've lost fat there. Um, so it's Naked Labs 3D Fitness Tracker. Hmm. But, yeah, it basically looks like a mirror and a little scale that sits in your house. Um, it creates a 3D avatar chart of your body's progress. Um, it loads to an app on your phone uh, from a 20-second scan. And from there, it can extract all the measurements from your body. Um, and you can plot progress over time. You know, you've lost a quarter inch here. You've gained, you know, your your deltoids are just popping out like crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and, <laughs> yeah, so, I, you know, it also gives a heat map. So you can kind of tell where you're where you're putting out more heat. Hmm. So I almost want to know, like, based on, um, you know, this this product. I mean, I see a picture of it, but it doesn't seem it doesn't appear that the mirror is is big. It's just one of those normal standing, you know, I don't know, five, six feet types of mirrors. So. Yeah, and from what I gather, it's the mirror is more just uh, for aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and there's actually little, like, scanners within, within there. I almost wonder uh-huh. if, um, you know, people will use this product, say, like, pre-exercise, and then go exercise and try and train, and then come back, and then, 
get on it again. And then, you know, I wonder if, if they don't, most people don't understand. I mean, you're not going to lose body fat in like, you know, one session of, 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 of exercise. Yeah. And it's obviously just based off metabolic heat production. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's kind of a, you know, unique, cool idea. I mean, just have to yeah. see, uh, you know, how it works and, you know, what the validity validity and reliability of it is. Oh, one thing's for sure. I mean, yeah, if you went and, like, did it, did a scan and then went and did a squat workout and then did a scan again, I mean, one would expect your your heat map to be totally blown up <laughs> So in comparison. So, yeah, I mean, that definitely, it'd be one of those deals, like an average scale, that you'd have to pick out a time of day and a time of week and do it. Yeah, be first thing in the morning. Map. Yeah, but. Uh, Let's say how it does body yeah. comp. I'm just no. wondering what mechanism they use. No, it doesn't say. Um, it just basically, I mean, it's. I think from what it's saying, it basically just through the heat map, and then also, I don't. It doesn't even say it does body comp. Hmm. It just like it's just measurements showing that oh, you're smaller here, smaller there. You know, by taking this snapshot picture of you, this 3D image. Um, so it's almost like it's just done via via measurement. Ah, uh, that might be huh, interesting. So. And it just shows you you've lost or gained size. Yeah, and anyways, it's it's going to be up for sale. Well, it's up for sale now. It's pre-ordered, and they come out the uh, first quarter of 2017. You can have one in your home now wow. for just $499. Of course. And then so, when you get to where you want, can you send that to your little 3D printer and make little icons of yourself then? Yeah, you can make an avatar. <laughs> <laughs> you can avatar on your Facebook page, put your heat, heat signature up. There you go. Show it off to you. Got to be able to Instagram it and everything else, or it's not doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. So got to have that video. Got to have that video. I just oh yeah. yeah. If it won't automatically post to at least three social media at once, it's not even <laughs> perfect. So there was a supplement yeah. once that uh, we'll say an unnamed conference I went to that was something you rub on your skin, I believe, beforehand. And they were showing this guy exercising, and they had you know the heat map camera there showing that it increases local heat production, which was interesting. That was like many years ago, and it's kind of obviously mm-hmm. disappeared. So it's there's, yeah, it's interesting, but I don't know how much yeah. useful that data is. Yeah. Um, and then our second one is the whole biggest loser thing that came out. Um, and I've seen this a couple places now, but U.S. News has produced a study that found that Competitors on NBC's Biggest Loser leave the show with a slower metabolism, making it more difficult to keep pounds off. Um, <laughs> it's it's pretty problematic in, in numerous ways, but of course, if somebody goes onto a show and they weigh like 500 pounds and they come off a show weighing 300 pounds, uh, your metabolism is going to be lower. You're 200 pounds lighter. Yeah, most people, <laughs> most, most uh, people that actually have lives and jobs and whatever, they don't train six days a week for six hours. Yeah. Of course. Uh, well, and the fact is, if you're 100 or 200 pounds lighter, there's less of you that's burning calories because even fat, to an extent, is it, it uses energy. Or you're, you know, just lugging around that <laughs> extra few hundred pounds is expensive. So, uh, yeah, and, yeah, and even then, if you you pull up the whole study, which you know, being the goon that I am, I have it here. And I think people are just kind of losing their minds over the the resting metabolic rate, the predicted. Minus what was actually measured, and they're saying, "Oh my gosh, there's this huge, you know, adaptation, and the numbers are off quite a bit." And 
it is a pretty big difference from what was predicted, but yeah. if you look at the group and you look at the resting metabolic rate that's just measured, right, so how many calories it takes you for just laying down, your eyes closed, doing nothing, at the seven-month point in the, the Biggest Loser competitors, it was still about, you know, 1,800 calories, yeah, you know, plus yeah. or minus you know, 463, so there's a huge range there. Um, but it wasn't like it, it drove them down to like, you know, 1100 or 800 calories or something yeah. crazy like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of um, studies, I actually posted this the other day um, and it was a um, news story. Of course, those are always, you know, great. But um, it said that if you spend hours in the gym, I think everybody will like this. this everyone's going to love this. If you spend hours in the gym, you are wasting your time. A one-minute workout is the same as a 45-minute workout. And basically, what? it was um, – they totally – first of all, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then second, it's just another example of uh, media underreporting the actual science or basically um, looking at um, different studies in terms of like a, a, a moderate um, you know, intensity workout versus um, – I'm going to try to find it here. So I, have the actual, I have the actual study. Basically, that um, a one-minute workout, moderate intensity is like the same as like you know true um, high intensity, uh, like interval training. So here it is. Let me um, uh, read it out to you here. Uh, let's see. So yeah, basically, it, it tries to tie to make about um, high intensity interval training cardio and moderate intensity or low intensity steady state cardio. How basically they're the same thing, and you're better off just doing like one-minute sessions. As opposed to, you know, um, you know, moderate or low intensity. But basically, if you're it's if you're doing one minute sessions and say if you do ten of them, I mean that's basically ten minutes. So you're taking mm-hmm. ten minutes compared to you know true you know high intensity interval training that may last like you know with your warm up forty five minutes you know to an hour. But people don't really understand. I mean, high true high intensity interval trainings are hard and they're very mm-hmm. brutal. You're not going to do it five days a week. I mean, yeah. if if no. if you're really if you're really trained, then you could handle three days. But typically, you're looking at you know two based on most of the somewhere between two and three, you know, for the most part. So uh, I thought that was kind of uh, you know ridiculous of the media. Of course, of course they don't, they don't really report you know true si- added science. But um, anyhow, so that's all kind of all I have uh, for news. Um, and if people have done, we used to do Wingate testing in the lab all the time, which if people are not familiar, you get on a bike, you pedal real fast, and then you just dramatically up the wattage, so how hard you're pedaling against, like literally within a short period of time. And the test we ran was only 20 seconds, right? So mm-hmm. you're pedaling against a super high wattage for 20 seconds. And at first you're like, oh, it's not too bad. And then about halfway through, you're like, oh, my God, this sucks. And the last like 10 seconds, it feels like someone just filled your legs with concrete. And yeah. then you get off and you're kind of wobbly. And then you kind of feel a little queasy after that. And we usually had a few people that would run to the bathroom and puke. And that's, you know, that's just after one uh, Wingate that's done properly. So it, it can be very, very brutal. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's where a lot of people miss the. Uh Miss the ticket on high intensity training is uh, you see a lot of people that don't give it everything it should. You know when you're that's like I've seen people doing Tabata and they're like talking. Yeah, it's like you're not talking doing it. Tabata. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you're not doing it correctly. 
You know, so I mean, they, they don't understand that it's like all out. It is everything you got for, you know, the 20 seconds. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and there's certain um, exercises you can't even do, quote unquote, Tabata style, just because you're not yeah. recruiting enough muscle mass. It exactly. Just doesn't, you'll not get to 170% of your VO2 for that period of time. So. Tabata, <laughs> I don't think, Tabata I don't think dumbbell curls. Knows, like 170% of VO2. That's like... It's kind of like saying, uh, you know, this exercise, this workout burns a thousand calories an hour. <laughs> oh, but uh. yeah. And I guess the last thing in news is it is the well, it's nationals and the Olympic trials for weightlifting this weekend. So all the uh, guys and gals are up in Utah getting ready to throw around big weights. That's going to be streamed today. Yeah, so. I think some of our uh, athletes here um, at, uh, at OU are, are, are there. We act yeah. like we have like 80 athletes, 80 plus athletes on our Olympic lifting team. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I imagine you guys have some up there for sure. So, I know Sarah Robles is up there trying to make sure her spot's good. and uh, I don't see how she couldn't unless something catastrophic happens, but um, she's so far ahead of everybody else. But. Yeah. As far as I know, she's like our hope to medal. So, uh, you know, good luck to her. You know, she's a good person. Nice. Uh, yeah. So that's about it as far as we got news wise. I mean, like I said, I'm the only thing going on with me is I'm walking now, and so the hamstring seems to be attached. It's really tight. Oh, that's but, good. But other than that, I was able to tie my own shoe this week. That took about four days of stretching, <laughs> and so I can wear regular shoes, not just slides, and. uh so that's it's pretty awesome. But you have to retire the walker for a while now for good. You put it in the yep, closet. No walker. Walker's away. No walker. No crutches. No brace. I'm good. I'm back riding a bicycle. Ah. You know, hit, hitting the aerodyne five days a week, trying to get just mobility back. It's amazing how weak my leg is. Oh, I bet. And well, and honestly, just I mean, in a matter of a year, I've had a total hip replacement and a hamstring reattachment. So my legs are like. <laughs> they're, they're just they're pitiful right now with two major lower body surgeries in in less than a year. So it's going to be time to get get all that back. And but I got another five weeks before I'm cleared cleared to do anything. So I haven't lifted any weights at all. Oh, wow. As far as lower body. Yeah, um, Sorry, you got time. Yep, I got the bench bro thing going on. Lots of pressing and benching and chins. Yeah. And, you know, can't, I'm hit- can't do like uh, I don't know, like banded leg curls or like leg extensions or anything. Or- uh, no, right now it's basically just this is week one of like literally not being on crutches. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a couple weeks and just ride a bike, um, and then I've done a couple 25 pound leg extensions. Um, that, that's about it. And you know, even on the bike though, I mean, I get on that thing for 10 minutes and I can tell how weak that one leg is it's like ooh, because it's on like every muscle in it is on fire oh, and the other man. one's like yeah what's up yeah you know? <laughs> but yeah uh, i think from injuries people don't realize that when you take a limb and you completely unload it like years ago i i completely ripped my right shoulder out out a broom ball accident so i had the, the sling and swath where it's you know basically plastered to you and you, you can't even yes. lift your arm up to put t-shirts on you bend over so your arm kind of falls in front and stuff and so I had that for eight weeks, mm-hmm. and at the end of that, you could grab my tricep and just wing it around wherever. It almost knocked people mm-hmm. out with it, you know, because yeah. it's it's not even supporting the weight of my own appendage. Exactly. <laughs> it's not that it's exactly. not even lifting. It's not doing anything. So. Yes, and that's that's how this one was, like, between the two, this one's worse than my hip replacement. Sure. 
Because with the hip replacement, I mean, literally, it was the next day. They're get like, okay, bed. you're getting out of bed. <laughs> you're walking. You know, and this, they pretty much immobilized my leg totally for six weeks. Yep. So, so, you know, everything's kind of like jelly in there. But it, it'll bounce back yeah, quick. It comes I mean, back. So, well, I suppose we'll uh, take our short break and then come in back at you with the topic and uh, see what we got for you. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Rock it back in. Okay. Uh, we are back, everybody. And uh, we're going to let Mike run with this for a minute. and then, Or, I mean, John. There's too many mics. I know, so. right? I know. We, yeah, have to wear, we all have to wear a name tag. Yeah. So they normally don't let... let us on the same show. <laughs> right. We're going to let John uh, run with this for a minute and get us rolling on uh, 
his his love for muscle confusion. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a really um, interesting scenario here. I mean, and, and I don't think you you see this you hear about this as much, but basically, um, the term like muscle confusion is uh, has been used by a lot of um, like training programs. I mean, even things probably like CrossFit, but more probably more so with things like P ninety X and Insanity and and essentially, not really so much um, CrossFit, although there are some, you know, good CrossFit places out in, in the country, and there are actually some good quality coaches. But uh, the P90X, the Insanities, and all that, I mean, what those really are are just kind of, you know, glorified and well-marketed versions of circuit training. And so it, it, people talk about how, you know, this muscle confusion. I mean, muscles are not um, – they're not – able they're kind of like incapable of being like confused i mean despite claims you can't really confuse your way to really anything i mean you're trying to get stronger um you know more powerful more mobile i mean not really confused and thus kind of significantly limit or maybe undermine um you know your progress but um one of the things and i i wrote about this you know years ago and i think people get <laughs> quote-unquote confused when they hear the term muscle confusion and they and they talk about how, well, you need to just change things up and you need to do something different like every time you go into the gym because if you continue to do the same things, then you'll lose adaptation over time. But there's a huge difference, and this is where um, most people in, in the industry, um, they, they lack the ability to put things into context. And that's what this is. I mean, muscle confusion and then uh, changing things up in your workout and maybe altering exercises, you know, planes of motion, um, angles or whatever, like that, that's different. Okay. Um, than just going in there with like no plan and just, you know, throwing shit at a wall and hoping that it sticks. But basically the muscle confusion theory leads to somewhat of a paradox and, you know, training that leads to no significant muscular adaptation. Um, and typically the body can usually only adapt to sufficiently the chronic types of stressors, which are then applied with enough volume or intensity and some type of regularity to, to cause a change in the physiology needed to make an adaptation. So, you know, if you, if you frequently change the nature of the stressors, so if you're trying to, you know, increase your deadlift or your squat, and every time you go into the gym and do a lower body, you do something different like every single time, and then you're hoping that your squat is going to, and your deadlift is going to go up. Well, it's probably likely not going to happen because you're not really utilizing enough, you know, I guess specificity to be able to, to, be able to cause that change. So um, it's just kind of like um, the cardiovascular system usually responds and adapts to circuit training or circuit training sessions you may conduct, but the exercise is not really like consistent. So there's no specific types of adaptation. So I think that's that's really the main difference between just going in and doing whatever you feel like doing without a plan versus having a plan versus actually rotating out certain exercises every three to three to four weeks, kind of similar to what the conjugate periodization system actually does. So, well, and it also ignores the fact that adding five pounds is a change. Right. <laughs> you know, literally, if I take somebody's squat and then next week we add two and a half pound plates, we just change the stimulus. But, you know, that is, you know, in the, I suppose your muscles, in a way, if you want to use the word confusion for that, they're going to be confused. They're going to be like, oh, shit, it's five pounds heavier. Yeah, it's overload. You know, I've got to work a little harder. You know, it can be a simple change. You know, for God's sakes, even to in, in the squat, going from, you know, move your stance out or in a small amount 
and you've just created a change, you know, or whatever, front squat to back squat. You know, it doesn't have to be some drastic, you know, change. It can be some small stimulus change that, that could then elicit a, a new response. So Yeah, I think, and basically what you're saying, Phil, I mean, you're, we're just talking about overload, you know, just mm-hmm. basic progressive overload. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean, I think people get carried away with this, it doesn't mean that every day or every training session, like most people, needs to be like freaking max effort. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because most of our most of your progress is going to come from you know sub max type of training, um, mm-hmm. not with sub max form and technique, but with optimal form yes. technique. So you know, manipulating the intensity, volume, and density. Of course, volume or density is just you know volume over time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that that's basically the the difference. Um, I mean, I do a lot of rotating out of exercises. Um, you know, but it's mainly with like assistance exercises. Um, you know, mm-hmm. different two, three different tricep or like back movements. Um, but I mean, I'm at the stage of my training to where like I I have to do that in order to continue to see progress. A novice or intermediate athlete doesn't need to do that. Uh, well, so. and also, I mean, I'd make the argument that just a small change, like if I take somebody from a regular barbell back squat to a safety squat bar to a a small change like that every two to three weeks, even three to four weeks. Yeah. It can also just be mentally more exciting for sure. Them. You know, because I mean, sixteen weeks of okay, you're squatting again. <laughs> you know, oh their their internal fire is more like you know a small bit of kindling. Yeah, it's just you know variety, where, it's just, so, for variety. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and it's just that small change. They you see some excitement again in them, and they they push it a little harder. They, their own, you know, it's not the right term scientifically, but their own intensity they give is higher. You know, so, you know, even that type of change can help, but, yeah. And I found that variety works really well because if I increase the variety, like you guys were saying, um, in a systematic way, a lot of times I can actually increase the frequency. You know, I may be able to add one more day to their training that week, you know, for various reasons. And the other part I've noticed, too, is that I've... I've tried goofy-ass experiments where one of them I tried deadlifting every day for, uh, I think I got up to almost seven weeks. Um, but in order to do that, I had to rotate through about seven different forms of deadlifts because I got such blinding joint pain after like the first you know week and a half. I was like, oh, this isn't so good. Um, yeah. That and my nervous system was torched by the end of that. But um, But I find that rotating exercises... And like you guys said, like even small adjustments can, you know, make a pretty big difference too. Um, you know, I even had some people bench press with their left hand maybe in just the width of their finger a little bit more, you know, because maybe they're weaker on one side versus the other and things of that nature. Now they're not going to really probably do that in a competition per se, but as, you know, a training exercise, a lot of times even just that tiny amount of variety was enough that oh, my elbow doesn't hurt anymore, and oh, wow, it looks a little bit better, you know, so they can keep adding a little bit more volume at that time. Mm-hmm. Another part, too, is I think a yeah. lot of the muscle confusion stems from people going to the gym and being very fatigue-based, that if they didn't feel like they trashed their body and had to crawl out of there on all fours, that it wasn't a good training session. Right. And, yeah. you know, probably the biggest feedback I get from online clients I work with initially is that, oh, this is, like, too easy. You know, even, like, week four, they're like, oh, but it, it still feels too easy. I'm like, but you're doing more work now than you've ever done before. But, you know, yeah. we're having them do, you know, more strength stuff, and we're having them do more complete rest, you know, so they're trying to keep the quality 
of the work they're doing as high as possible. And if they're doing a few conditioning sessions, and those are going to be a little bit harder. But even then, there's still specific, usually target heart rate I want them to get in. It's not just go to the gym and keep doing stuff till you feel horrible. Because if you look at the quality of the work that they perform, it starts out pretty good, and then it starts dropping. And if you magnify that over weeks and months and years, they're actually doing less overload. They're doing less volume. Their density usually doesn't stay up as good. And their percentage of one rep max or strength usually doesn't go up as fast either. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this whole conversation also leads to, you know, one thing that as a coach of various strength athletes tends to bug me is that, you know, for the general person that just wants to be generally sh- in, in fit, for lack of a better term, changing stuff up quite often is, is great. You know, uh-huh. it's, you know their, their goal is just to be okay. You know, but when I have somebody come into me and it's like, ah, Phil, I want to be an Olympic lifter, I want to be a power lifter, and then like four months in, they're like, we're squatting again, <laughs> or, or we're clean and jerking and snatching again. Yeah, you told me you wanted to be an Olympic lifter. We're going to clean and jerk and snatch a lot. And that, I mean, honestly, to me, that's where some of the respect comes in these in these sports. It's having the <laughs> the drive, the internal focus to literally, okay, I'm going to be clean and jerking and snatching for 10 years. Oh yeah. And I'm going to be doing that a lot. And there's going to be a lot of days that I suck, you know, but I still go in and I clean a jerk and I snatch. You know, and it's you know, I mean that's just part of the deal. If you want to be that athlete, just like if you want to be a sprinter, you know what you're going to do? You're going to run a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're going to do it all the time. You know, and that's part of the respect that comes in in those sports to be great at it. I mean, it's it's not just it's not just the training, but it's literally you're going to do those for a decade. And it's having that – it takes a special person to commit themselves to three lifts or two lifts for that long of a time to master them and become that good at them. You know, and I mean, I think a large percentage of success is just being that type of person that can devote themselves to two to three seemingly simple tasks uh, to become a master at them. You know, because most people don't have that drive. They get bored. Exactly. And and give up. Yeah. So A lot of gonadal fortitude. Yes. So, And I think with that, too, the, the catch in that is to figure out what days are good days and try to push those days up and mm-hmm. what days that, you know, if you go in and you're missing a snatch weight that you normally make very easily when you yes. start out, that may not be the day to, to do much. Maybe you just do accessory work or maybe you just even oh, yeah. leave. You know, yes. but it's the long-term progression of getting that quality work in that I think it's 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 a lot more effort and <clears throat> takes consistency. And I, have, I usually see two extremes, like the people who are really good. If you watch them, they just like clockwork. They know I'm going in, I do this, but they also know when to leave when it's not there. Mm-hmm. I think some people, when they're new, they get stuck in their head that I have to be uber consistent, and they probably push it at times that they shouldn't at that point they need to look yeah. at the the long-term accumulation of like what you said phil of months to years to decades in some cases mm-hmm. and one thing i try to scale on is like i figure out i figure out my athlete's valley you know where are you at when you're at your worst yep. and then as long as that valley is consistently getting higher yeah <laughs> That we're making it somewhere because you're just, especially in the power power based sports like Olympic weightlifting, it's it's so 
variable. You know, there's days that it doesn't take much to, for an athlete to lose that, that power, you know, to where they just don't have that pop, that explosion. So as long as that is going up, you know, you're just not going to be at 100% all the time. It's it's not going to happen, exactly. especially the way Olympic weightlifters train. I mean, there's a lot of frequency in it, and it's it's mastering a very complex, simple looking but complex lift where a quarter inch can mean missing a lift. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. So um, it's getting that 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 valley to to raise o- over time, and you know, in that there is a lot of variability in Olympic weightlifting. There's a reason why those lifts are broken down into so many parts and okay we can train the lift off the first pull now we can train you know we can train different segments of the lift to make you better off as a whole over time and it's i guess that's you could look at that as you know muscle confusion but you're still working the same lifts just you're working parts of it to bring those those segmented parts up over time to make the whole lift greater but yeah. i think you're still driving towards the same goal yeah, right. I think the you know. muscle confusion really comes about, especially in physique-based, you know, fat loss-based programs, because you tend to deviate back to sort of fatigue-based. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, burning a whole bunch of calories, therefore it must yes. be good. Well, yeah. that's okay, but what about the next day? What about the day after that? You know, if you have an intelligent program, then you can do more work over a week, over a month, over a year, and that's what matters the most. I think a lot of people just look and go, well, how much work can I do today? Mm-hmm. And they don't think about what is the cost of you doing that. You know, in a perfect yeah. world, I'd love to do, you know, grip stuff and strongman stuff at a, you know, high percentage of my one rep max every day. But yeah. there's not a chance in hell my body is going to let me do that. <laughs> yeah, and as you get older, that's going to change too. And as you get stronger, yep. that's also going to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got some Olympic athletes here. It's like, I mean, they train five, six days a week, which, I mean, I agree, Phil, there has to be some, somewhat of a, a high, you know, moderate to high frequency with that. But I think people get confused as moderate to high frequency is just variations of those lifts without enough involvement of assistance exercises. Yes. Um, and then, like, I had, a, I had a couple athletes kind of complain to me where that, you know, they're doing, you know, cleans and snatches and squats and front squats and their quad and patellar tendon hurts. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're squatting and doing this stuff like five, six days a week, and all you're doing is training in a sagittal plane. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, and it's, and it's like, you know, power, I mean, especially like rotational power, but even though Olympic lifting doesn't really involve a lot of direct rotational power, but I mean, you got to train in, in transverse and frontal plane. Um, I mean, most people just do all the training in sagittal plane, and, um, it, and it's one of those, and it's one of those things where it's just, it's just kind of simple overuse, you know, just yeah. simple, like repetitive movements, repetitive motions over time. Um, uh, and, 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 and I understand kind of where they're coming from because, you know, there's people out there that, that think, well, Olympic lifting is the end all be all, you know, to everything. And the only way that you can produce, you know, um, you know, explosive power. And, um, I mean, I think it's horseshit. Um, I mean, I, I have a 40 inch box jump from a seated position and I don't do any Olympic lifting. Um, I mean, I do, you know, box jumps and some other power things, but, um, you know, there's, there's, there's multiple ways to, to like to train power lower and or, you know, upper body. But, um, so, I mean, and, you know, when you're, when you're young, I mean, you can get away with higher frequency and higher volume and recover, you know, a lot, um, you know, better, but, you know, those things have to change as you, as you kind of get older and when it gets stronger, well, I think, you know, you hit on a couple of things there as well. I think a large part of being younger, too, is generally people are more active. Yes. 
and they're doing other things. So they're getting that assistance work that you know, the you know they're getting the other planes of movement in daily life. Yeah. As opposed to as we get older, we get locked into jobs, we get locked into families, and literally our training stimulus is that hour, two hours, whatever in the gym. Yeah. You know, other than that, we're we're fairly sedentary and and things like that. But the other thing that you hit on, I think that is good is where most of the training variability comes within the assistance work over time, yeah. because you see. The weak points change yeah. over oh, time. Yeah. The minute I the minute I fix one, yeah. I've got another uh-huh. another one. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, and that's where your systems work change. Yes, you might squat if you're a powerlifter. You might squat bench deadlift every week, but what changes is you know the assistance work to bring those yeah. up. Versus versus so. like I, I think and somebody was talking to me like the, their variation mm-hmm. to a clean is just a hand clean, you know, or yeah. like a hang snatch. And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean. <laughs> you need to be blowing up. You need. To, I mean, I do like 250 reps a week just with back work, mm-hmm. and um, that's why my upper back is not weak. I mean, I need to now I need to focus more on, you know, even more frequency than I was doing for like low back and you know and, and hammies. But it's just. But you're right, Phil. It's just like, you know, you you work on one weakness, another one kind of creeps up over time. You know, but it, and it's just part of the. It's just part of the process. Um, it's just part of the journey. So yeah. And I found adding frontal plane work, so for people who are listening are not quite sure of that, it's basically moving in a lateral direction, so sort of uh-huh. side to side. Um, you know, skater squats and stick yep. and hold, Cossack squats, lateral sled, sled drags, you know, even some single leg work. And while that's not hyper-specific to Olympic lifting or, or some of the CrossFit exercises or power lifting, what I have found is that it sure seems to keep people doing those other lifts in the, the sagittal plane a lot higher frequency. Yep. Um, I know Coach Dose has talked a lot about that too, and it's amazing how many sort of slight knee pains people I've had, and when I just program a few more of those things in, even just adding another extra day, putting them in like kind of a, a mobility recovery session, you know, keep your heart rate below 140, you know, 120 to 140 beats per minute, that a lot of the knee pain and other stuff they have just kind of magically resolves over time. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a, you kind of, you run this risk of, you know, say Olympic lifting of you need to do work that's highly specific to your sport because that's the fastest way to get better. But you also need to do, like you guys were saying, assistance work and other things that then allow you to keep doing that highly specific work. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you get too... I don't, I don't like the word asymmetric, but yeah. you get too kind of non-human shaped, at, at some point it's <laughs> going to fall off and you're going to run the risk of being injured. So it's yeah. your, I think especially with more elite athletes, you're really walking that kind of tightrope because they need as much specific work as possible because they need that overload. They need that stimulus in order to get better because they've accumulated so much work over the past several years, but they also need enough stuff to, to keep them together too. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, do we have anything else on that? I mean, I think we. I just said one other thing for because the people then ask, well, if you're increasing your variety, where do you get ideas for a variety of exercises? <laughs> I like reading a lot of the old time uh, strongman stuff and lifters from like pre 1950. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you yeah. go back then, they didn't really have machines. I mean, barbells have been around forever, kettlebells, Indian clubs. You know, take your pick, stones, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But even something now I think we take for granted, like a squat rack. You know, a lot of people didn't have a squat rack then. You know, yep. So you find lifts like a, a Steinborn lift, 
which I'm not saying everyone needs to run out and start doing that right away. <laughs> For God's sake, don't start with any heavy weight. But it's basically where you take a barbell off the floor, and in this goofy sort of oblique way, you stand it up on one end, you literally crawl under the thing, and then you flip it so it goes onto your back, adjust it, and then you can do your squats from there. Yeah. Um, so like a you know, Jefferson or straddle deadlift, um, there's a lot of different and unique lifts you can do with just a standard um, barbell. So there's a lot of ways you can increase your variety there with without having access to any sort of fancy equipment or anything else. Yeah, and then, um, I mean, I, most people know, you know, my students and stuff, and you can uh, do a lot of stuff on social media like Instagram, but if you have access to it, which is obviously the key word, you know, have access to different types of specialty bars, um, sure. you know, bands and chains, you know, a safety squat bar, cambered bar, um, you know, a band bell or a, um, a bamboo bar. I mean, I use those all the time, and, it's just they're just they're phenomenal tools and you know when you're so used to training with a regular bar all the time and that's all you use and then you go to something like a safety squat bar a camber bar i mean it's just it's a, just a different world and it's very, they're very hard to describe unless you actually you know do them I and mean, you can do bands and chains and um you know like sled work and like um, i like sandbags a lot i mean kettlebells yeah. i mean there's just a um just off, you know, just really odd implements and odd objects because I think so many people forget, you know, strength is not only what you lift, but it's also what you resist. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, well, and I think I think another point of that is getting into strongman stuff. Yep. Yes, I mean that's one thing that we're finally bringing back is like we we used to be really good at having fun days where it's like okay everybody shows up and we just pick out like two or three things and we do that it's you know running with the yoke or farmers or blah blah you know moving weight yeah. you know not just not just standing with it and picking it up and down yeah. and things like that you know it can it can be fun and it's just a different training stimulus so yeah and it also encourage people to look at more off axis weight so a lot of people are generally a little bit more asymmetric in their function, and that's not really a reason for them to run out and do 800 corrective exercises per se. But, for example, in my case, I know my left hamstring is still weaker than my right, so it's something I'm still working on. But I wanted to carry over to a symmetric exercise, like a deadlift and a squat. So on an easier sort of recovery-ish type day, I did, like yesterday, um, just, you know, real lightweight, and then I did a one-hand deadlift, so my right hand was on the middle part of the bar, and then I split my stance out. So my left leg is in front, my right leg is out further and back a little bit on my toes. So I'm basically loading my left leg more, and I'm also asymmetric now by only holding it with one hand. So I'm loading my left leg more, and now cross-body I have to stabilize a lot more too. Uh, and that's something you can play around with with just a simple barbell too. They don't need anything um, too fancy. So I think for assistance type work, I think people can look at those kind of lists too in addition to the standard uh, unilateral work. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that kind of covers it. So Lonnie's out gallivanting. Actually, he's at graduation a graduation ceremony. So. Yep. That's where he is this week. He's probably all dressed up, looking like a doctor. Yeah, yeah i got to so, go to graduation here this next week, too. <laughs> so he'll be back next week, and uh, we'll have another show for you. Cool. Thanks, right, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot.
Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.